And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is 6.06 as we kick off this morning's edition of The Real Investment Show. Top news headline of the day. World's most wanted terrorist dead in a U.S. drone strike. Pretty amazing. It's the fourth time he's been pronounced dead, but he's really, really dead this time. Really, really, according to the Biden administration. So we'll we'll see if he pops back up again. He's a rascally rabbit. That one. They keep. They like two years ago. It was like, oh, he died, and then now we killed him. So he's really dead now. We're hunting terrorists. <laughs> exactly. So uh, anyway, lots of stuff going on this morning. Uh, this morning we're talking about when misinformation becomes fact. I thought it was very interesting. Uh, two days ago, a uh, economist from the American Economic Institute, Enterprise Institute, and I mean this is a this is a think tank of economists, and. Uh, one of the economists there came out and said, yes, two quarters of negative GDP growth is a recession. Uh, that's what we've been using in the United States since like 1900 as a measure of when you actually have a recession. In fact, it's not just the United States that has that classification. It's also the same one that's used in France and several other European countries as well. It's kind of just the normal kind of standard. It's, it's very similar um, in measurement that we talk about bear markets, right? Markets are down 20%, you're in a bear market, right? We just kind of pick these arbitrary numbers. And now, as we've talked about before here on the show, just because you're down 20%, if you're still in a bullish trend of the markets, then you're not really in a bear market. It just kind of feels that way. And that's really kind of the same thing with a recession is that the, you know there's no real structured classification of what a recession is. And for a recession to happen, we have to have A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? We have to have all these, um, you know, kind of line items. Like LEI has to be negative. ISM has to be negative. And, and, and we put all these together, and that's a recession. Um, our normal classification has been roughly two, two negative quarters of growth, which we've had as a recession. Now, why do I bring this up is because uh, so this economist, very smart group of people, right? Way smarter than other people. <laughs> and we'll get to those other people in a second. Um, came out and laid out this whole long uh, kind of, you know, information, fact-based, you know, analysis of why the economy is probably in a recession. Now, yes. Now, very true, we have not announced we're in a recession. And we normally never do. Generally, economic growth is stronger by the time that we actually announce the recession because it takes a while for the National Bureau of Economic Research to collect all the data, look backwards, and say, hey, we're in a recession. A good example. In December of 2007, we wrote a newsletter. And in that newsletter, said we said that we are about to be in or are already in the worst recession since the Great Depression. Now, at that particular time, economic growth was about 1.2% in the fourth quarter of 2007. So how on earth can you say we're in a recession when you have positive economic growth? Now, of course, we know what happened in 2008. We were in the worst recession since, two, since the Great Depression. 
That was because all the economic data said we were heading in that direction. And just because you're not there yet doesn't mean you're not getting there. The trend of the data is just as important as the data itself. Which direction is the data trending? Now, in December of 2008, a full 12 months later, after the collapse of Lehman, after the, the housing meltdown, the National Bureau of Economic Research came out and said, oh yeah, that recession, it started in December of 2007, a full year earlier. So by the time the announcement comes, it's going to be too late to matter, and it's not going to, to, to matter. So what was interesting about this, the American Economic Institute is that when they published this analysis on the recession, PolitiFact which is Facebook's fact checker group, right? Now, this is the group that's supposed to check all the facts and say, yeah, this is misinformation or this is real information, right? The group that Facebook is depending on to distinguish between misinformation and information came out and said, that is false information. The White House said we're not in a recession, so that's the real fact. See, the problem with all these fact checkers is that they don't really check facts. They just spin out of political bias. And, and again, this misleads people into understanding what's really going on with the economy. Now, look, there's a very interesting chart out this morning. Survey of cities around the country shows a very sharp decline in the number of people that can actually pay their bills. Now, this also flies into the face of a lot of the economic spin we've gotten out of the White House that said, the individuals are flush with cash. We sent individuals $5 trillion. They've got plenty of cash and savings. The inflation isn't a problem. But yet, in 20 cities around the country, people are having a very difficult time paying bills and a very sharp decline from where they were just last year. That's because of inflation. Now, as inflation eats up consumer spending, economic growth is going to slow. And we saw this yesterday in the ISM report that came out. That's the Institute of Supply Manufacturers came out and said that there was a very sharp drop in new orders. New orders are actually declining into recessionary territory. This means people are not ordering stuff. <laughs> not surprising. They're running out of capital. But again, now, one of the things you're going to see is you're going to see retail spending right? Consumer spending, that's going to remain strong for right now. Why is that? Well, because of inflation, we have 9%, nine, almost 10% inflation. Because of those high inflation numbers, people are spending more to buy less stuff. So since we measure spending in terms of actual dollars spent, if I was spending a dollar last year on a particular item, I'm spending $2 this year for that same item. I'm not buying more items, I'm just paying more for it, but that registers as a spending increase in the economic data because I'm spending more dollars. So this is going to show up in the economic data. It says, well, personal consumption is still strong. Spending is still strong. I don't really understand why we're having these recession talks. Well, it's because people are spending less and the economy is going to slow because of that and lay on top of this the fact that you've got the Fed hiking rates, tightening monetary policy that's going to further impact consumption and spending, which is the whole goal, as we've said before, of what the Fed is doing because as the Fed hikes interest rates, as the Fed tightens monetary policy, the whole goal of that is to make things more expensive for individuals to buy so they slow down their spending. As they slow down their spending, you get slower economic growth. As you get slower economic growth, you have less demand. Less demand equals less inflation. It's just the laws of economics. But 
again, we have an election coming up, so it's not surprising you're seeing such a full court press right now about a recession. Now, here's what's interesting. Historically speaking, presidents do not survive economic recessions. The fortunate news for Joe Biden is, is that by the time that we get to the next election for president, we'll be out of the recession. We'll actually be back in a growth phase. So it's going to look like all the policies that whatever, whatever the government does now at this point, whatever policy they pass, if they pass this new, this new bill to help boost green energy, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is neither reduction, uh, a reduction of inflation and actually taxes the lower class uh, quite dramatically, actually, because of the spending that's going to occur on, on the climate friendly projects that are going to increase taxes on the lower 80% of people. No matter what they pass here because of the time frame between now and the next election, the economy is going to prove. So they're all going to be able to point back and say, see, our policies worked. It will have nothing to do with the policies. It will be the function uh, that we have gotten through the economic downturn and the economy will be back on the man because that's how recessions work. And the, the Fed will be lowering interest rates by that point. We'll be back to QE and it'll look like policies actually worked. That's the PolitiFact. Be right back after the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Inflation touches every aspect of your life. No one can avoid it because we're living in an inflation nation. RIA Advisors has a nine-step inflation battle plan, and we're sharing it with you in a special summer lunch and learn, Thursday, August 4th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's no magic elixir against inflation. Our nine-step plan can help you blunt inflation's effects. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. 617, big day for the Roberts household, closing on the sale of our house. Woohoo! Another check mark on the to-do box. That's been a busy, right? Been a busy few days here trying to get moved and settle down. So, but uh, getting there, getting there. Meet the neighbors. Uh, not yet. I live in a hippie neighborhood, though. <laughs> so, if you don't know Houston, you know if you're, you know, not from not from around these parts, as we say in Texas. Um, so I was living in the suburbs out in in Katy. And that's where, you know, we'd moved out there to raise our kids and uh, schools are, you know, I, I refuse to pay for private school. It's just stupid to spend that much money for schooling. Um, so I, I moved out to Katy so I could send my kids to public school in, in a decent area. And now that all my kids have pretty much have now graduated and gone, in fact, uh, my son was sending me pictures yesterday from College Station. He's got his room all set up. He's 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 pimping out, right? I mean, he like stole all my used stuff in my house. <laughs> I'd like I was trying to move. I was like missing televisions and all kinds of stuff. And I I, I know where they are now. <laughs> Thought I'd been robbed, but no, it's my son moving out to college. And uh, of course, my daughter's leaving for Texas Tech uh, on the thirteenth of this month, thirteenth, fourteenth, something like that. So anyway, uh, kids are all leaving. So we moved back 
so our office is at um, basically in and kind of I guess it's not Midtown where we are. It's, where we are? Yeah. No, this is the Far West Energy Corridor. Yeah, we're in the Energy Corridor. So anyway, that's where our office is, and yeah. so we moved close to this, and so we're kind of in this memorial area. So it's an old neighborhood though. And it was built back in the 60s, 70s. And interestingly enough, I find out that my wife's cousin grew up three doors down from where we live now. Wow. Right. So just yeah. totally, totally coincidence. We mm-hmm. had no idea. Right. right? Just total yeah. coincidence. Is there a plaque up or anything? No, it's probably cops still cruising by <laughs> knowing him. Um, <laughs> so but anyway, this house is so the house that we live in was built in the 1970s. And, you know, so it's, it's a smaller kind of older house. And all these houses were flooded during Hurricane Harvey. They had released the dam uh, during Hurricane Harvey. You know, reservoirs were filling up and they were they were afraid of the, that the dam was going to to burst. And so they released the water behind the dam. And well, they did. It, fl- it flooded the bayou and it and it completely just drown this neighborhood and what's amazing is 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 there's a park right behind this neighborhood called terry hershey park and it's a beautiful park bike trails running trails all kinds of stuff and we had gone out this weekend to walk the dogs and we're walking through the park and the park runs behind where our neighborhood is now and it's about 50 to 60 feet up the embankment from where the bayou is and so as we're looking at that, we're going, it's amazing how much water came through that during Hurricane Harvey because you had to fill up 50 to 60 feet of embankment. And then it rises probably another 30 feet to get to the neighborhood. And these houses were flooded halfway up the house. So, I mean, you're talking <laughs> just a massive amount of water. So anyway, all these houses were rebuilt after Hurricane Harvey. They've all been updated and stuff. Um, and of course, as soon as that happened, all the hippies moved in. So and when, I'm, when I mean hippies... I mean, millennials and Gen Z's are all wearing the, they've all got their full face beards and dead bods and they're, you know, so the hipsters, the hipsters, the hipsters hipsters have invaded. So I'm like the old guy on the block and the rest (laughs) are are hipsters. And it's a very interesting neighborhood because um, everybody's very vocal about their politics, but not verbally. It's how they decorate their house. (laughs) <laughs> and let me tell you, this is the funniest story, right? So I, I so like I'd leave for work in the morning and I because I get up at, at four o'clock with Brent and, you know, we're, you know, chasing chickens out of our yards and roosters. Um, and, and so you drive by this one house. It's this it's this two story house and it's got these beautiful white columns out front. Well, during the day, it just looks like a normal White House, right? This White House with these big white plantation columns. Well, Come about four o'clock in the morning, the lights come on, and each one of these columns are wrapped in Christmas lights, red, white, and blue. So it looks like flag, like the, the you know the flag running up and down yeah. these these columns. But as you drive down the street, what you'll notice is is, is there's a bunch of houses with American flags out front. Mm-hmm. And scattered amidst them. And so if you kind of want to know the political dynamic of the neighborhood, about every third or fourth house in the neighborhood. So it's like, you know, American flag, American flag. There's, you know, uh, some some veterans in the neighborhood and they've got their 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 banners out. Mm-hmm. And then there's a kind of this one house that's tucked back. And it's got a Beto O'Rourke and an abortion rights <laughs> sign in the front. And there's another house at the end of the street that's got a gay pride flag out front. <laughs> So it's like everybody's everybody's marking their territory. Yeah, that's what they are. So my wife and I have decided what we're putting out. We have a, a concrete statue of a military soldier. From what era? From uh, um, 
Confederate or no, 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 no. World War Two, World War One, <laughs> modern, <laughs> modern day, modern day, yeah, soldier. And anyway, we call him Sarge. His nickname is Sarge, and we've had him for years. And he 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 adorned our our previous house, and so he's oh, you not, brought him with you. Oh, we yeah, he's fifteen hundred pounds. You should have seen the movers <laughs> move in that one. That was freaking hysterical. Um, they were trying to lift him and carry him. I was like, use a dolly, just roll him to the truck. No, they wanted to pick him up and move him. He's put solid it, concrete. Put him over by the cement pond. <laughs> exactly. Well, he was in front of our house uh, at our last house, and, uh-huh. and he was like the neighborhood attraction. All, yes. the, all the kids would come by and take pictures with Sarge and stuff. The Sentinel. Yeah, and so we, we is now he will now be migrated to the front of our house uh, in, in the flower garden. Very so. nice. <laughs> yes. So that's coming. So the fight is on. Anyway, we're my wife and I are, are apparently the old people in the neighborhood. So really, yeah, that's it's all young hipsters living there, and it's gonna it's, it's gonna be very interesting <laughs> oh, yeah. to see how this works out. But but it's one of those neighborhoods where everybody you know mm-hmm. goes. They all, everybody has uh, what what they call them? Ariondike chairs. The Adirondack. Adirondack chairs. Yes. So every all the houses have Adirondack chairs out yeah. front of their yeah. house and swings. Uh, there's like my next door neighbor, two doors down, has a picnic bench in his front yard. Can't figure that one out. But apparently it's one of those neighborhoods where everybody just hangs out. Well, you as know, long like as the Chevy's not up on blocks in the front yard, <laughs> no, you're that's good, not that. Know. No, all all every, all the houses are very well kept. Yeah, everybody keeps up. Well, my brother houses. lives a couple of blocks from you. Okay. Yeah, so I know the neighborhood. Okay, okay, you know the neighborhood. And so anyway, it's gonna. This is gonna be. I'm. Gonna, I think I'm gonna have lots of interesting tales about holidays to tell you. <laughs> I think you need to hold a block party <laughs> and film it. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I think I've, I think there will be plenty of block parties. Yeah. That I'll be able to film. I don't have to host one. <laughs> So anyway, this, this is going to I just have a feeling this is going to be more than interesting than not. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, anyway, uh, well, we just killed almost a whole segment. Almost. There. yeah. So, so this morning, uh, futures are opening lower and I didn't get a chance to do a market update uh, kind of at the open. But, uh, you know, if you take a look at kind of where the market's trading right now. And Brent's going to bring this chart up for you in just a second. He's busy making notes for himself. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was my subtle hint to bring up my chart. Um, you like that? Yeah, I like that. There you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, I'd zoom out a little bit. I'll fix it. <laughs> okay. Keep, keep talking. Okay. Um, but the what is notable is that the market is very, very overbought here short term. And this is something that... We've been talking about here for for a good bit from the standpoint that, you know, as we take a look, the the MACD signal, which is one of our more important indicators for rallies and markets, it's been a very slow advancing MACD indicator. And it's been rising now really since the the kind of the, the year lows. And from that point, we've been kind of establishing these points of, of higher lows and higher bottoms, uh, kind of a rising markets. Just recently, we talked about breaking above the 50-day moving average, breaking out of this downtrend channel that we've been in really since the beginning of the year. Now, that, that pickup, of course, has been very welcome because we've been talking about just how negative sentiment has been, how offsides investors have been. And, and of course, this rally is now starting to pull a lot of that bearish sentiment back out of the markets. Well, one of our, you know, all of our indicators are now back to more overbought levels and, and actually approaching more extreme overbought levels. 
And so yesterday, we had bought a position in Amazon for our portfolio that, you know, we bought it just before earnings. The stock popped like 12%. Um, you know, after earnings, we sold half that position yesterday, just took the profits because it's now three standard deviations overbought. Um, Apple's very overbought. Microsoft's very overbought here. So likely going to take some more profits here uh, in the next day or so. <clears throat> but futures are pointing a little bit lower this morning. And you know, it won't be surprising, and I actually wrote in the newsletter this past weekend that it wouldn't be surprising if we saw some profit taking this week because of the fact markets have run so much in such a short period of time. And earnings aren't great, by the way. Earnings aren't great. The stocks are rallying on on earnings that are not as bad as expected, right? It's kind of like saying, well, you know, thing, you know, the the world's not on fire, but it's completely underwater, right? So you know, you know, it's just you know, not as bad as expected. Earnings won't, saw, you know, won't sustain a rally. You need earnings that are growing, and that is not, you know, what the markets, you know, are going to be running on, right? Just you have to have, uh, you know, earnings that are growing, and that's not going to be the case here as we go further into this year because economic growth is slowing. That's going to impact earnings. Profit margins are shrinking because of inflation. That will impact earnings. Um, consumption is going to slow down. And again, where does where do revenues and sales come from? Is from what you and I spend. And so if spending is slowing down, earnings are going to slow down. So this rally is going to have a very difficult time maturing into a full-fledged bull market with the type of economic backdrop that we have. So again, point here is markets are very overbought. Probably a good time. Rethink your portfolio a bit, maybe take a little bit of profit off the table, rebalance some risk. I think you have a better opportunity to buy in the next couple of months. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Be right back after the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com inflation touches every aspect of your life no one can avoid it because we're living in an inflation nation ria advisors has a nine-step inflation battle plan and we're sharing it with you in a special summer lunch and learn thursday august 4th at noon register now at realinvestmentadvice.com there's no magic elixir against inflation our nine-step plan can help you blunt inflation's effects register today at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to The Real Investment Show. So it's some interesting uh, stuff that's going on. You know, it's, we, we've talked a little bit about you know, the impact of policies right now that are all focused on climate change and you know, it's it's the you know focus on greenhouse gases, particularly CO two, and there's a belief that if we can just solve the CO two problem, that we'll solve the climate change problem. And we're spending all this money and effort to try to solve one factor amidst 
a, a litany of other factors that go on. Assuming if we can solve this one problem, it'll solve everything else. But the, but the solutions to solving the problem are causing other things to get worse, which is always the case. And, and you know, case in point right now, um, you know, Germany is a good example. And I can, you know, my son lives in Germany. And we have a lot of conversations about what's going on over there. And, of course, you know, Germany tried to make this switch to more green energy. Um, they started shutting down their coal plants and, you know, backing off of nuclear um, and all in favor of wind and solar. Of course, now that they've shut off the gas pipeline coming in from Russia, for the most part, they're, they're having massive trouble meeting energy demand. And it was interesting. There was a story out this morning. Dirty old coal is making a massive comeback. And we talked about, you know, the, the whole fallacy of ESG investing and that ESG investing would be all fine and dandy until other assets started performing better. And we talked about back in 1999, there was the whole movement to not invest in sin stocks, no gambling, no pornography, no alcohol, no tobacco. And those were the best performing stocks during the dot-com crash. So all these things sound good until performance starts to show up somewhere else. Well, coal stocks are killing it right now. Because there's now money being invested into doing what? Building new coal plants. Because we've underinvested in coal power plants and we need electricity. And the more demand we put on the grid trying to solve the CO2 problem by driving electric cars, the more you need dirty energy to fuel the electricity to help charge the car. See, everybody forgets the link that goes on, right? Um, we talked about before on the show, it costs, you know, the carbon footprint to build an automobile is about three times as large to build an electric vehicle than it is to build an ice uh, ice vehicle an internal combustion engine and so it takes about 400 uh, sorry it takes about 300,000 miles on a 400 mile equivalent car to break even on the carbon footprint so again you were not really solving the problem and not to even mention the the you know the issues with disposal of batteries and solar products and things that are now polluting and poisoning the water systems etc you know there's all those other problems but you know we don't focus on the other issues that are also causing potential climate change like we've had a lot of solar flares and and we've the you know we're not in we're not investigating and spending money to look at the impact of solar flares on the heat that we're experiencing in, in, you know, on the planet, right? And the increase in temperatures. Another one that we're not, you know, looking at is very interesting is, is that the moon is actually slowly leaving the Earth's orbit. It's very slow. In about a billion years, the moon will actually leave the Earth's orbit. But every year as the, as the, as, as the path of the moon gets further and further from Earth, it's lengthening our daylight by very small fractions. And so the days are actually getting longer as the moon moves further and further away from the Earth, which means you've got more sunlight hitting the Earth. That's also increasing temperatures, right? And so you, there's all these other factors, right? We're focused on CO2, but there's all these other factors that potentially, I'm not saying these are all contributors to, to you know, climate change, but there's all these other factors that we're not paying attention to or studying and as, you know, we talk about rising sea levels, right, as, as solar flares and longer days are leading to higher temperatures and, and more in just longer periods of temperatures, water expands. And, of course, you get rising sea levels because of the expansion of water, right? It's just, you know, we live on a dynamic planet. And so, you know, the word dynamic in and of itself means that it's always changing. But we're making these decisions, right, to 
oh, we've got to go green and we've all got to drive electric vehicles, but then we don't look through the whole process of the impact that it causes on the environment of having to produce all that electricity. So, you know, this is, you know, one of the problems that, you know, ERCOT's been talking about. ERCOT, uh, by the way, is, is kind of our electrical power governance system here in, in Texas. And, you know, they're talking about a potential overload on the electrical system because of the heat here in Texas. California has rolling brownouts. They've been having, California's been having rolling brownouts forever because they've underinvested in their electrics and they've moved away from nuclear and, and everything else trying to be green. And that's awesome. No problem with that. Don't have any problem with it. But again, you're causing yourself all these other problems that are not going to go away. They're only going to get worse. And so the, 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 this, this dramatic increase in spending that we want to do to try to fix these problems, and this is one of the, you know, there's a lot of articles out all of a sudden. Uh, Senator Joe Manchin, of course, supported the negotiation with Chuck Schumer. He came to this agreement that he would be okay to, you know, he would support the Inflation Reduction Act, which will not reduce inflation at all because the money that's being spent is on things that are going to actually impact by leading to more inflation across time. But it's also going to pass through, in, and again, you know, the, the problem always with taxes, that the taxes trickle down from, <clears throat> from the wealthy to the poor, that, you know, there's going to be no tax increases. Uh, you know, George Bush uh, Sr. said this back in, you know, post-Reagan era. He said, uh, read my lips, no new taxes. And, of course, taxes just ram through uh, the middle class because taxes always trickle down. And so this Inflation Reduction Act is going to be a fairly massive tax increase to the bottom 80% and particularly to smaller businesses, which are the, the heartbeat and the backbone of the economy. So again, now you've got inflation and higher taxes potentially if they pass this bill on the very group of people that you depend on to support the majority of economic growth. So this is just really going to kind of make things worse. And this is always the case of these bills, right? You know, we, we passed these bills back in 2020, 2021 to give people money. It's like, oh, we're just we're going to give people money. I wrote an article. It's on our website. Um, and it's talking about, you know, Joe Biden said at that time is that we're going to reduce the poverty levels in the United States. And I said, yeah, you'll reduce the poverty levels for about exactly 12 months. And and it, and it did, right? All this money we gave people actually lifted people out of poverty. And, and there was a lot of headlines, you know, on, on the media saying, hey, you know, we reduced, you know, the, the poverty level in the United States by doing this money. Well, they're all back in poverty and worse now because of inflation. But this was the side effect of all that money that we put into the system. So, you know, the, the problem with government trying to solve problems is, is that all it does is shift the problem and generally makes the problems worse on those very people that you're trying to support. And, and we talked about this before, you know, right, that the government wanted to, you know, provide this money. And, and what we needed to do was we need to give people more money for child care, so that they could go back to work. They could pay for child care. That way they could go back to work and, and get to work back in the economy. Well, that's great until you do the economic math, which is very simple, which is that if Brent's providing child care services 
and he knows that I'm getting more money to pay for child care services, what do you think he does to the cost of his child care services? He raises them, right? That's why you have inflation. So child care doesn't get cheaper because you give me more money. It actually makes child care more expensive. And that's the impact that we've had. You know, the best thing to do, if you, if you really want to fix the economy, if you really want to get things back to normal, stop messing with the economy. <laughs> the economic cycle will take care of itself. Supply and demand will balance. And prices will fall in line with that supply and demand. The more you interfere with it trying to help, only makes things worse. Let me help you put out the fire by throwing gasoline on it, right? This is the attitude of government. If you just leave the fire alone, it'll burn itself out eventually. It's supply and demand. As long as there's fuel, the fire will burn. When, and so the, the wood is, is, is the supply. The fire is the demand. When the supply runs out, the fire is going to die out with it. I mean, it's just, it's just the way that's going to work. And it's the same thing with the economy, is that if you let economic balances come back to normal without intervention, you'll solve your inflation problem, and you'll actually, believe it or not, wind up with stronger economic growth over time because part of that reversion will be a debt reduction. The less debt you have, the less debt you have to service, which means you have more disposable income to spend elsewhere in the economy. So you actually wind up getting stronger economic growth. These aren't hard things to understand, but they're not popular. And they don't get you, they don't get you elected, right? What gets you elected? Give me free money. That gets me elected. You know, this and, and, and that attitude goes all the way back to the turn of the century when, you know, politicians were running and promising a chicken in every pot, right? If you're going to give me a chicken during the, during the Depression, having a chicken was the same thing as having a, a stimmy check. But if you promise me a chicken in my pot, I'll vote for you. We've just gone from physical delivery of chickens in pots to, you know, electronic delivery of checks to households. The problem, of course, again, is that you wind up with the payback. There is nothing that is for free in the economy. Everything has to be paid back at some point. The only question is when and how do you pay for it? Free money isn't free. You're just paying the tax on it now called inflation. Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Inflation touches every aspect of your life. No one can avoid it because we're living in an inflation nation. RIA Advisors has a nine-step inflation battle plan, and we're sharing it with you in a special summer lunch and learn, Thursday, August 4th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's no magic elixir against inflation. Our nine-step plan can help you blunt inflation's effects. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Invest. Show.
And welcome back to the show this morning. So, I uh, got a question on YouTube here talking about why is the 10-year interest rate so low when inflation's going up? Is the Fed buying bonds? No. You have to understand how bond markets work. And we talked about this last year. And one of the reasons that we continue to maintain our bond positions in our portfolio and are going to be adding to them actually here very soon um, is because when you get inflation or the Fed's hiking rates, that doesn't affect the long end of the curve, right? When the Fed hikes rates, all they do is impact the very short end of the curve. And, you know, their, their Fed rate hikes run out to about the one-year mark, right? So the, the three-month treasury, the, the one-month treasury, the one-year treasury, those are all impacted by movements by the Fed. The long end of the curve reflects economic demand. So everybody's like, well, you know, if inflation is X, then, you know, uh, 10-year treasury rates should be X. And, you know, this is where Jeff Gunlack and Bill Gross have been wrong for, you know, the last six years. They've been calling for higher interest rates and, you know, talking about 5 and 6% rates. And we're, we're not ever going to get there because the economy can't support higher interest rates for very long. It impacts demand. It impacts consumption. And what drives along into the curve is economic supply and demand. So as the economy is beginning to slow, inflation is going to decline. And that's what the 10-year Treasury rate is already telling you. And look, it's going to bounce around. It's, you know, we're down to 2.6, I think, right now in the 10-year Treasury. It could bounce back up to three. In fact, I'm kind of expecting it to do so, so we can actually add to our bond portfolio. Um, but by the time we get through the recession, inflation, uh, sorry, interest rates on tenure treasury will be somewhere between zero and a half percent. And that's just a function of time and economics and when the Fed starts reversing, you know, rate hikes. And as the Fed starts cutting rates, then the tenure treasury will drop dramatically because when the Fed pivots, that's not, as we talked about on the show yesterday, Jim Cramer says, time to buy stocks is when the Fed pivots. No, 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 no. When the Fed pivots, that means you're about to be in a recession, the real recession. And when that impact comes, you're going to have a, a realization that risk assets are not the place to be and money will flow into treasuries for safety because that's where your risk-free rate is. And so this is why, A, first of all, Bonds are already telling you that we're heading towards a recession. Bonds are already picking up the risk off trade. And that's only, gonna, only going to increase as we get further out. So, you know, this has been one of the mistakes that everybody's been making. Like, oh, well, the Fed's hiking rates and the, the Treasury rate has to go up. And it's like, no, it's exactly the opposite. It, uh, the 10-year Treasury is a risk off trade. It is a a economic demand trade. It is a realization trade of what's actually going on in the economy. So, no, rates are going lower, not higher. A couple of things here as we get ready to wrap up. Um, you know, this morning we're, we're got a lot of earnings coming out. We've had a lot of earnings out over the last couple of days, and, and it's been, a, been very busy. And, of course, in the next, you know, uh, next week, we're going to be through about 80% of the S&P 500 earnings. 
So we're going to have a really good handle on really kind of where corporate earnings are, what they look like. And, of course, analysts are now waking up to the realization their estimates were way too high. We're having a, a race of reduction right now on earnings estimates. And, of course, we do that so that we can play the beat the estimate game by corporations. And they come out and announce earnings that weren't as bad as expected, right? That's how we get this game. If estimates were where they were at the beginning of June, the misses would be dramatically worse. We would have misses like we saw back in the first quarter. But analysts have been so busy dropping estimates now that companies are missing by just a smidge. And, of course, now as, as the rest of the year goes and as we get into 2023, those longer-end estimates are going to have to come down as well. So we've got a lot of reduction in earnings estimates to go yet to get to a more normal level. And that's going to take a while. Now, when we start reducing the E and the PE, right, so prices have been rising and now we're cutting the earnings. And as that does that, valuations are going to start to come back up near term. So, again, this uh, kind of trailing valuation, forward valuation, you know, kind of measure we've been looking at, that's going to reverse here a bit because prices are rising and the E is going to start, you know, being reduced. <clears throat> so, on a forward basis, we're going to start to see valuations rise. But, again, that's just kind of, of where we are. And as we kind of get through the next couple of quarters, we should kind of get to a more normalistic level of things and then the markets can kind of start to stabilize. But we've got a lot of work to do. And a lot of this is going to come to the realization about the Federal Reserve. Um, you know, there's, again, the Federal Reserve has made some interesting changes here from the standpoint that, there, you know, the announcement last week saying that they're going to go by meeting-by-meeting meeting basis in terms of interest rate policy, and they're not going to give out forward guidance, has kind of left the markets adrift at the moment. Now, the markets are taking this as bullish. It's like, oh, I see the Fed's getting ready to pivot, and that's why they're taking this stance. But there's really no reason for them to pivot. You still have very strong rates of inflation. That's going to remain the way the rest of this year unless we get into a fairly sharp contraction and start getting negative inflation over the next few months. And don't see that happening just yet because housing prices run a big lag. That's about 42% of CPI. So that's going to be a while before we start seeing, you know, a, a real impact to inflationary pressures. That won't be until next year when we get into the much bigger month-over-month -month changes that we've been seeing this year. That's when you'll see the sharp drop in inflation, but that won't be this year. So as a function of that, there's no reason for the Fed to stop hiking rates near term. And, and they're going to have to keep hiking rates until they start seeing a material impact to the rate of inflationary pressures. Or you start seeing a very sharp increase in unemployment. And we're not seeing that just yet. Right now we have inflation and unemployment remains low. We're still cranking out, you know, three, 400,000 jobs a month. It all sounds great. Now, of course, Amazon announced yesterday they're laying off 100,000 employees. But that's a drop in the bucket. We'll see over the course of the next you know, few months as we get data, as incoming data comes in, we'll see how things start to, to level off. But right now, economic data is declining. Uh, the Atlanta Fed GDP, which is a real-time tracker of GDP on, on the 1st of August, sorry, on, on the 31st of August, they put out their Q3 estimate, which was 2.1%. One report yesterday from the ISM dropped that 2.1% estimated growth for Q3 to 1.3.
I suspect by the time we get to announcing quarter three, and by the way, that's what happened with quarter two's estimate. Quarter two estimate started out over 2%. They kind of take the average run rate, start that's their starting point. And then they start subtracting from that as economic data comes in. And so they, they always start out at about 2%. Second quarter, we were at 2%, wound up at a negative 0.2 or 4, whatever it was. Same thing will happen here. We'll start out at 2.1%. We'll wind up at somewhere close to zero by the end of the quarter. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a little bit stronger economic growth in the third quarter, right? And, of course, immediately what everybody will say is like, oh, see, we're not in a recession. Well, we're not in a recession just yet because the National Bureau of Economic Research hasn't announced it. But, you know, we're in that, we're in a very strange phase of the economy right now. And while we have two negative quarters of GDP growth currently, I wouldn't be surprised to see third and fourth quarter be a little bit more positive growth. And then the impact of Fed rate, because it takes about nine months for Fed rate hikes to set into the economy. So you have this little negative two quarters of GDP growth. You come out, have a couple of quarters of positive GDP growth, and then the impact of very aggressive Fed rate hikes hit the economy in 2023, and you get a downturn into your recession next year, which I think is probably the more realistic scenario. So there'll be a moment, a moment in time here where the media is going to say, see, that wasn't really a recession, and which is exactly what we need to see. Right. Too many. I told you earlier this year, too many people were calling for a recession for us to have a recession. It was like, oh, we're in a recession. No, it's too early. And there's too many people calling for it. You don't get recessions when everybody's calling for a recession. So, again, you come out of the recession technically only to wind right back up into it as the impact of monetary policy tightening really takes hold. In fact, I'm going to write an article on this. I was thinking about a topic today anyway, so. I'll work on that one. Anyway, just keep an eye on this. I think it's going to be a very interesting year. Um, it's been a, a tough challenge in terms of investing this year. We'll see. Uh, this morning, futures are pointing lower. Dow's down about 172 points. Uh, West Texas Intermediate Crude is ticking up here just a little bit. It's been under a lot of pressure for the last couple of days. Uh, oil prices have been coming down. Uh, S&P futures are down 25 this morning and uh, Nasdaq futures are down pretty sharply and that's going to be you know kind of the the status quo of the day I suspect again we've had a very sharp rally here markets are overbought a bit of a pullback here would not be surprising the key here is for the market to pull back to the 50-day moving average not violate it hold on to it work off this overbought condition and then rally again that may be a tall order for that to happen but we'll keep a watch on it we're likely going to take some profits here out of a couple of our recent trades and uh, just kind of reduce some risk raise some cash uh, temporarily until we kind of figure out where we are next i'm real Lance roberts that wraps up the show for the day sorry for all the rants this morning i had too much coffee not really but i woke up on the wrong side of the bed cranky this morning so can't yell at the dog and kick the wife or however that goes um can't do that, so I'll just bring it here to you every day. Uh, <laughs> anyway, get by the website, Real Investment Advice. Latest blog post is out this morning. It's on the website right now, so make sure and get that. Um, also, uh, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter, our daily market commentary, and our YouTube channel. It's all there for you. 
Uh, Simplevisor, our digital uh, full research and digital investment platform, that's up and running for you as well. Simplevisor.com. That is simplevisor.com. Check it out 30 days free. See you back here tomorrow. Have a great day.